Welcome to Loop TV. I'm Gene along with Doug for Monday, January 24th. Our three topics today are the overall market, second crypto, and third a fun fact related to a fine that Apple is going to be paying in the Netherlands. We'll start with the A topic, which is the market. I made some comments yesterday about buckle up for this week. It was going to be big tech earnings week, plus you have the Fed commentary coming on the 26th. When I said buckle up, I didn't understand the significance. I wasn't expecting these kind of G-forces. But here we are at one point today down 4.5%. And I think it would be helpful, Doug, just to put some context into what the market volatility has been recently versus what it was in the pandemic and maybe back in the 2018 correction. It's, uh, I would say, similar to the 2018 correction so far and certainly not as bad as, as the pandemic in 2020. We like to look at basically the number of two standard deviation moves in the market. So about two and a half percent up or down over the trailing 10 days, just to get a sense for how compressed is, is the volatility sort of happening, which we think is sort of an indicator of fear. I mean, you can look at the VIX too. I think the VIX correlates well with this, but I like looking at kind of the market moves. And what we're at right now is four days out of the last 10 have moved up or down two and a half percent. As a matter of fact, and in this particular correction, all four of those days so far have been down days. And today we'll see where we end up. I think we're down about 2% right now. So we're on that edge of maybe a fifth day. If you contrast that to the pandemic, pandemic, we peaked at basically nine days of a trailing 10. But that was some of them were up big too, or was it pretty much all down? Yeah, there was a, a lot more uh, widespread, I would say, you know, a, a, a greater standard deviation moves in some of the days. I mean, we had a day that was down 7%. We had a day that was down 12%, kind of really at the, the local Scarring. Like, peak yeah, of, of fear with the pandemic country closing. Obviously, we're not having that right now. We're having you know, a rate-driven correction where you know the easy times are sort of over. I think that's, that's what everybody's reacting to. In 2018, we were actually in a scenario where the Fed had been raising rates. So we were at over a 2% uh, Fed funds rate at that time. In December of 2018, the Fed raised again, and then the narrative kind of shifted and people were worried that the Fed was moving too fast, raising too fast. And we had a correction not too dissimilar from what has happened sort of so far uh, in 2022. The difference, I think, is how compressed it's been. The 2022 correction has really happened over a span of a few weeks where that 2018 correction was really over a span of a few months. So we had a four-day trailing period mm -hmm. of this two-and-a-half standard deviation move in 2018, just like we've had this past uh, 10 days but it happened over a much longer time uh, span. So we'll see what that means going forward. I think we've always said volatility sort of begets volatility. So, I mean, my, my gut is it's probably still not totally over, uh, mm -hmm. but certainly we're probably more toward the end than we are at the beginning. I don't know if that means 51% or 79%, but that would be my guess. And my sense is we're going to hit that bottom probably within the next, as early as this week, I think as late as a couple months from now, if the Fed sets a course on uh, later this week that investors can sleep well at night knowing that the the pace and the slope and the the magnitude of the rate changes are something that are consistent and they can bet on them if investors can do that. I think the market kind of rebounds back. And there's a, a dangerous consensus here too. The market is a pendulum between fear of getting run over and, and the fear of missing out. 
And if you go back and look at those two, 2018 and 2020, and those those uh, those drawdowns, those corrections, those bear markets, that uh, there is a quick rebound to it. And so I think kind of in the back of everyone's mind is that this is going to spring back, that once kind of we hit this floor, everything just kind of comes racing back. And usually the market will do the opposite of what people think, whether they can express that or whether it's kind of buried away. Uh, I believe that that's the case. And that's why I don't think this is a, a single point bottom. I think the bottom, like we saw in 2018 or 2020, where it just ripped right back. I think we're going to probably build a base in here over the next few months. And I would uh, just add into that, we talk about are we 51% there, 79% there. I think we're still going to see some volatility. I think there's still downward pressure until, uh, uh, in the minimum, uh, we get some clarity uh, later this week. Final thought, Doug, on the market. I'll leave it where we've been leaving it the last two weeks as we've kind of talked about this, probably a message that regular viewers might get tired of, but you just have to keep buying things that you think are uh, a good value, whether that means something that's growing or something that has stable earnings, you know, value is value. And it uh, doesn't mean something that's a good value can't go down another 20, 30, 40, 50% even. But I think the smartest thing you can do is, is buy when you think you've got a great buying opportunity and then be ready to just keep withstanding the pain. Mm-hmm. Oh, well said. I can say from our perspective in our fund, we are buying things today. And so, uh, again, we're still largely in cash, but have been uh, 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 spending some money, putting our investors' money to work. Uh, today. So I think we're closer to the end, still think we're a quarter away from the space kind of filling in. Let's move on to crypto. Crypto has uh, been under some pressure like everything else. Uh, I think Bitcoin year to date is down something like 25 or 30 percent and uh, the NASDAQ, let's call it down 15, 16 percent, 17 percent. And uh, it just feels like this roller coaster, especially around crypto. You know, we talk about these long term secular themes about the importance of crypto longer term. And then we see all this volatility. It scares an old guy like me and just would love a voice of reason about what to make of the recent volatility within crypto. I thought it was supposed to do well when finite currencies weren't doing well and uh, what is causing this this volatility and what, what do we make of it relative to the long-term opportunity in, in blockchain and crypto? Well, I think any rational sort of crypto observer, which I'm sure we, you know, we like to put ourselves in that camp, hopefully, um, you know, where we sit somewhere between, you know, belief and disbelief. I think crypto is one of those things, it's a religion. Like either you're a true believer and nothing bad can be said about crypto or you hate crypto and you think it's the devil. Um, I think the reality is somewhere in the middle. I don't think crypto is going to disappear like probably most of the bears do. But I also don't know that it's just this total panacea that's unconnected with the rest of the market like the bulls do. What we're seeing here is what we've seen in other, I think, high growth tech pullbacks, which is that crypto is actually fairly correlated. And I think part of that is because probably it has the same the customer base to, in, in particular to tech equities too, I think is, is mm-hmm. part of it. And I think that you've got similar customer bases. I think people who embrace crypto probably brace, embrace a lot of the higher growth tech stories. And so when they're seeing drawdowns in their tech assets, you know, they might sell crypto uh, as a source of funds or move to cash because that's where they feel a little more comfortable given the volatility. Um, one thing I would say is 
And this is actually a really interesting perspective to kind of think about this. So this is from a crypto believer, a crypto maximalist, Anthony Pompliano, who's a big believer in Bitcoin. But he had actually written a piece, uh, I think two or three months ago now, where he talked about how Bitcoin has had, I think it's now four 50% drawdowns in like the last 12 to 18 months. And so what I think is important from that, and, and it, this is his takeaway, it's, I'm, I'm just basically saying- it just rips right back too. Well, not that, it, times. not that it rips back, but that the people who are believers in crypto aren't necessarily shaken by a 50% drawdown, right? Like crypto hasn't died. It's been drawn down by over 50%, four times in this short span. It's been drawn down by, I think, 80% a couple times over its history. And it's still here. And so I do think there is, you know, we've talked about a Lindy effect before a lot at Loop, the idea that the longer something sort of lasts just in the world in general, the more longevity it actually has. So it's kind of this like survivorship bias in a sense. And Bitcoin's been around for more than a decade right now. And I think there's more people who own it than ever. There's more people that are interested in it than ever. 50% drawdown is just kind of par for the course for people who follow it. Makes uh, makes sense. There's a company that participates in this too, one that we own at Loop. Uh, that's Coinbase. It's been throttled here recently. And how how do we think about that investment relative to the volatility, especially the downward volatility uh, from crypto? If we just uh, focus in, forget about the multiple on, on Coinbase, think about the actual business itself. How is it impacted on these uh, down days? And as a reminder, uh, Coinbase is an exchange where you can take finite money and move it into cryptocurrencies. The way that I think about Coinbase is uh, the criticism, the common criticism, I think, for most crypto disbelievers is that something like Bitcoin doesn't generate any cash, right? Like a business generates free cash flow. A good business does. Some of these tech businesses mm -hmm. that have been cut in you know, an eighth, uh, they don't and probably never will. But a good business generates cash. Coinbase generates cash. So they probably will have something on the order of about 50% free cash flow margins uh, this year. So very high free cash flow margins. And uh, even as Bitcoin corrects, there still will be trading volume on their platform. Their revenue may be impacted by that. But it's my belief that even with a crypto kind of drawdown, crypto winner, I think that Coinbase can maintain a free cash flow positive base. And then as the world returns to crypto and crypto continues to work in the future, I think that it can just keep building on top of that. So Coinbase to me is one of the best assets you can own for exposure to crypto because it touches every you know major crypto asset and it actually generates real profit. Is so there any, uh, they're, yeah, they're profitable. I think that's a piece that uh, gets totally missed here is Coinbase is uh, a profitable uh, business and is there anything kind of funny in the their accounting calculations something like netflix does when they and they kind of stretch out some of their amortization of their content creation costs that maybe inflates earnings in the near term is there anything odd going on like that with coinbase earnings or are these uh, relatively straightforward when it comes to gap accounting for I'll talk about it from a free cash flow perspective, and the answer is uh, there is one thing you you kind of have to adjust for. They do account for changes in customer deposits, which I believe is similar to other bigger financial institutions in terms of inflows from customers sending them cash. Uh, so that does show up on their balance sheet. Obviously, you kind of have to rectify on their balance, balance sheet, sheet but your, not not through earnings. Not through earnings, but it does show up on your cash flow statement and your working capital oh, gotcha. adjustment. Okay. 
And so that's just one thing you have to adjust out for. Uh, it's, it's fairly simple to do that. And then obviously the other thing I'll mention for Coinbase is, and this is really for all tech companies, many of them use so much uh, stock-based compensation. I think it's smart to adjust that out too, to get a fairer perspective for mm-hmm. you know, ultimately what their real costs the purpose are. Of the conversation was not to be advocating Coinbase, but as we were going there, uh, remind me what the multiple is. It's a pretty reasonable earnings multiple on it too, 17 times or something like that. I think, yeah, with the pullback, yeah, with, with the pullback, I think it's something like 15 times maybe at this point. I'd have to look at the numbers, but somewhere around there, I believe this year's this year's earnings. Okay. Well, I mean, that's great that they have earnings, but they also are tied to the hip with what is a lot of volatility around cryptocurrencies. So probably investors continue to look at the broader changes in crypto versus the underlying business. But uh, the underlying business will set our LPs free and uh, look forward to how that plays out. We're going to finish with the toy department here, uh, some comments from the Netherlands, uh, the Regulatory Commission. This is uh, a topic that we covered a couple weeks ago related to uh, the Match.com and some of the dating apps and the need for Apple to open up third-party payment systems in the Netherlands. I think Apple's been uh, a little bit slow to make those changes relative to the Dutch regulators or haven't made the changes to their liking. So they have a fine now. They've, they're getting a fine. Uh, the fine is uh, 5 million euros per day, up to 50 million euros. We had some fun with math here. If you look at Apple's free cash flow, uh, they can cover that 5 million uh, daily uh, fine uh, in uh, about 30 minutes and, and free cash flow. So uh, n- not necessarily uh, uh, one that you want to, you never want to give away $5 million every uh, 30 minutes by, by any, or, or every day by any, any company's measure. But I think it's kind of uh, uh, shows you the strength of Apple's cash flow that even these uh, regulators, it's really just tough to even uh, scratch the armor in it. Uh, I'm going to give you a final word today, Doug. I don't know if there's anything major we can add there other than this is a topic we've talked a lot about. I mean, I think there's going to be continued uh, scratching, as you said, kind of at the armor from many countries along this particular topic until, you know, either Apple sort of changes its policies or the countries give up. I mean, those seem to be kind of the two immovable forces. So we'll see what happens first. In my take is uh, Apple gets scratched. uh, The uh, regulators globally don't land a punch and you're probably in the camp that they are able to land land a punch we've talked in the past about uh, i think both agreeing that over time the next five years apple take rates probably need to come down from that 30 percent. i think it's 25 percent you've talked about a number lower than 25 percent i think either way you put it together it's still a great business more developers uh, are benefiting from the virtues of what Apple's put together here and going to continue to reward investors. And so we'll leave it at that. I hope we have better news with the market tomorrow. If not, we know why, because we're waiting for the Fed news. On behalf of Doug, Gene, and Loop TV, bye for now.